All right. Did it tell you you're being recorded? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm back. We're back. Stan Cox in real time. Um, we have our October dispatch. It's that time. It's that time. It's time to do it. So yep. I've got two essays from you. Uh, your October dispatch. And, um, and another essay that's coming out while well, we're recording on the 12th. And you think you said you think it's going to come out tomorrow, right? Yes. Yeah. TomDispatch.com. Right on. And that's from you and Preeti, the co-authors, uh, Preeti and Stan Cox. Um, very good. Okay. But let me, let me chat with you about this, this book. I, 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 like I said, I'm, I'm writing this book or I'm trying, I'm making notes on this book, which I've tentatively called decolonization and the environmental question. And I've just been thinking, you know, about how we don't have, you know, the whole idea that like we don't have an environmental problem, right? We have a series of problems that have environmental consequences. It's sort of like, you know, there's no like human rights problem as such. It reminds me a lot of human rights, actually. It's like if there's a struggle for state power, there's going to be human rights violations. You can't be like, hey, have a coup, but do it. You know, or have an inv- invade another country, but please do it in a, in a non-human rights violating way, which is actually Amnesty International's position. Amnesty International doesn't say, do, isn't against aggressive war. They're like, whatever. We only ask that Israel bomb the Palestinians in a way that doesn't kill civilians, yeah. which is yeah. like, okay. So um, with with respect to the environmental question, I've been thinking about non-renewable resources and like how big of a part non-renewable resources play in imperialist wars. So like, um, and we're going to get back to that because you've written an essay about that too. But like the end, like the, the whole military industrial complex of the imperial countries and also those that like hope to compete with them one day or whatever is all run on fossil fuels it's run on non-renewable you know metal uh, minerals Uh, and so the search for these resources um, is the basis for uh, a war industry and a war industry is the basis for the international system so like you know, the only countries that could possibly have any influence uh, relative to the U.S. now are China and Russia, and both of them have, you know, this obsession with making sure they get all of the non-renewables. Russia pretty much has all of them. China China has lots of them and is going to get the rest from Russia, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, the U.S., the U.K., which has very little you know, goes all over the world to make sure they get these and like from Africa, from Latin America, and they kind of park on these areas with their corporations, which are like pseudo independent. And, uh, and they just, you know, they just destroy the environment. (laughs) And like, that's just, that's not, that's there's no way to do that in a clean way right there's no clear so it's just i've just been thinking about the relationship specifically so there's three relationships i've been thinking about one is non-renewable um 
resources in the uh, war industries. Two is um, renewable resource depletion and uh, basically finance, finance capitalism. And then three is like famine and demographic engineering. So that's the non-renewables. The renewables idea is like just this idea that I first read about in like Clark. I think there's a writer named Clark, but Clark was referring to some 19th century German economist who did this kind of theoretical study where he said, you know, if the interest rate, so you have a forest, it grows at 5% a year. The interest rate is 5% a year. Everything's, everything's fine or 4%. But if, if banks offer 6%, it becomes rational to cut your whole forest down, buy bonds with it, and then you earn more per year than you did on the, on the forest. And of course, this is why markets and individual rationality and bank set um, interest rates lead inevitably to environmental destruction. Um, there's a few other mechanisms like this, but I always have, I've always been attracted to that one um, because it's so simple. Like you just need a couple of variables, and yeah. if it's true, you have to destroy everything. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> if this model is true, we have yeah. to destroy everything, every fishery, every forest, every jungle, every every resource, right? Yeah, yeah. The um, ecological economists. Um, feed this unintentionally i guess feed mm -hmm. this idea when they say i don't for, i forgot the last estimate the earth being worth like 17 <laughs> 17 trillion wait, yeah. which is nothing that, you know that's uh, just a, a few years uh, gdp just for the u.s so yeah. uh, it's uh, i love it i love that i love those we've been talking <laughs> about this for years right stan like yeah, the, yeah. every time they estimate the value of terrestrial ecosystems yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. i i found one i i did I, put, I did a facebook post about a year and a half ago where it was like someone estimated all the real estate in the world <laughs> and all the all the terrestrial ecosystems that it was about the same it was like yeah. you you could actually sell half the real estate and yeah. buy all the terrestrial ecosystems yeah <laughs> yeah i love that uh. <laughs> yeah no that's a it's a big problem because when you because ecological economics is not enough you know it's not enough because it's it still has all the classical assumptions and the whole focus yep. is like trying to find the dollar values for nature and it's doesn't understand how arbitrary the dollar these dollar values are and how much you can just set yeah. them to whatever you want um this is another <laughs> yeah so that's the renewables so we've gone through non-renewables renewables and then the other thing i i it just kind of is clicking for me now is how much of um how much of like the current demographics of North America, of South America, of parts of Africa, parts of Asia are because of like pretty explicit demographic engineering on the part of imperialists. So like how much Ireland, right? Ireland apparently yeah. like sometime last year or the year before <laughs> Ireland finally reached the pre pre-genocide population like the, the famine the so-called potato fam they yeah. call it a yeah. they call it a potato famine to diminish it but it was like yeah. a very deliberate planned genocide and depopulation of ireland by england in the 1840s and like ireland india 
you know, and obviously North Am- the Americas, very explicit um, demographic engineering. Is that late Victorian Holocaust? You got that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to keep a copy of Mike Davis's late Victorian Holocaust. Everybody, every good environmentalist should have that. But it's like, you know, when you look at like the, the various fantasies or what do you call them? Paranoias of the right wing, like reactionaries, right? It, yeah. One of them is called the Great Replacement. And the Great Replacement is basically that like there's a conspiracy of of brown people to replace white people through birth rates, higher birth rates. But it's like, this is this is always, whenever you look at one of these paranoid kind of fantasies of the apocalypse or the great replacement or whatever, <laughs> it's often something that was actually done by imperialists in the past. So, you know, demographic engineering was practiced in Canada, in the US, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa as like we are going to remove these people we're going to kill as many of them as we need to we're going to take their land and we're going to populate this place with white people superior racially superior people and engineer the famines and the, of course you know this is this was what Hitler wanted to do in Eastern Europe um, and I guess did for five years or whatever in Eastern Europe so yeah. the the whole um, the the point of this for me is like agricultural policy uh, in the 19th century under imperialism was demographic engineering and it was famine engineering and so you you have to like as an environmental uh, you know if if you're looking at the environmental question you have to understand this as um, like how far from that model are we now? You know, how much of that baggage of demographic engineering and engineering famines and using food as a weapon, uh, how far from that are we in terms of the international system today where they're sanctioning, you know, they're sanctioning Venezuela, Cuba, Iran. Uh, they are besieging Yemen, un, you know, to starvation and, and beyond, um, they're doing, you know, they're, they've got Alex Saab in jail for breaking sanctions, supposedly. You know, they put Meng Wanzhou in jail for breaking Iranian sanctions. You know, China trading with Iran, which is none yeah. of US, U.S.'s business whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's another interesting question for me um, where, you know, there were articles for in the New York Times where they're like, you know, the U.S. is having trouble getting African countries to understand the importance of punishing Russia because the African (laughs) countries want to keep buying Russian oil and Russian grain. Like, how dare they? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of countries, there there would be starvation without the Ukrainian and Russian grain. So it's like, well, you're not, what do you mean you're not willing to, you're not willing to starve uh, for our foreign policy objectives? Don't you know how important it is that we, you know, crush Putin? Like, don't you understand that a few million Africans starving to death is worth, worth it for us? Yeah. Um, So. (laughs) And and now in in the Americas, we have, or in North America, kind of reverse engineering of, uh, great of what they call the great replacement. So um, mm-hmm. we're trying to engineer our 
demogra uh, demographics uh, once again. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. When, that's, when that, that's absolute obsession, yeah. Yeah. We have the original Great Replacement, of course, was in the 15th, or 16th, 17th, 18th centuries yeah. when yeah. The, the entire 95% of the, the population of the continent was uh, replaced. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I think, um, so those, I just want, that's like my outline right now is like those three yeah. kinds of areas, um, and the, and trying to get to like the causes of it. Um, what do you think? <laughs> How am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I on the right track here? You're, um, you're on to something. I think, okay, definitely. good, good. <laughs> From a, okay, so let's, but let's get back to this, um, let's do it backwards. Let's get back to this non-renewables question, because you, your article yeah. is called, Are Green Resource Wars Looming? The Burden of Massive e EV, Electro, what? Electric vehicle. Electric vehicle batteries will be borne by people and ecosystems. So, you know, this for me, uh, you know, just before you get into it, like my reaction to this is, you know, this is proof that imperialism is not about specific resources. Imperialism is this relationship where it doesn't matter if it's ivory or rubber or oil or or lithium. But like as long as the relationship is that these countries are completely subordinate and at the mercy of the imperialists, they're go there's going to be some there's going to be some reason why they have to go there and take all their stuff and leave them destitute and starving and also to destroy their uh, ecological systems. So tell me about this uh, this article. Well, um, the. Um you know, electric car industry is um, um, searching for it, every, any source they can get of um, certain metals for use in the um, big batteries. Um, uh, and the, the chief ones that are um, under, um, under contention largely because they occur in very limited geographical areas are um, cobalt and lithium um, and th there's also a lot of copper required which is more abundant in a number of places but still um, is um, you know th there's going to be struggle over that as well so that and, and so not only uh, uh, do we have uh, the uh, countries unfortunate enough to be uh, hosting these metal reserves uh, be, being um, uh, you know, descended upon and uh, their environment ruined and human rights abused, etc. Um, repression. Uh, the, these could end up being the site of uh, conflict uh, between the great powers because, uh, for example, 80% of known cobalt reserves are in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So, um, and and uh, yeah, as we know, China is, uh, you know, has uh, huge, has made huge inroads in all sorts of ways in Africa and uh, certainly has in Congo and the uh, U.S. is trying to play uh, catch up. Um, we've got uh, Eric 
Prince of Blackwater fame uh, is down there free, freelancing and and so forth. Um, uh, lithium is um, most of the uh, known lithium is in um, Australia in the um, so-called lithium triangle of, uh, uh, between among uh, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. Uh, and in uh, China, and and most the bulk of the world's lithium processing is done by uh, China. Um, and uh, instead of Eric Prince in in South America, we've got characters like uh, Elon Musk uh, down there, um, uh, who when he was accused of having been involved because he he needs a lot of tons. Of you know, you know, huge amounts of uh, lithium for the batteries in, in Teslas. And so when somebody accused him on Twitter of being involved in the 2020 coup in Bolivia, he tweeted back, we'll, we'll coup whoever we want to, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Get over <laughs> uh, it. Yep. Yeah, get over it. Um so there, there are these um, uh, potential flashpoints, but uh, possibly the uh, the one that could um, lead to um, some that's already going to lead to um, ecological destruction, but also could really be a military flashpoint is um, not in um, Asia or Africa or. Uh, Latin America, but uh, not on any continent. It's the uh, ocean seafloor, mostly in the Pacific, um, where there are these uh, nodules, so-called these, uh, they call them generally potato-sized hunks of rock that have uh, both cobalt and lithium and and, uh, a number of other metals, including rare earths, which are also in big demand by the renewable industry uh, renewable energy industry. Um, and supposedly these can just sort of <clears throat> be vacuumed up off of the seafloor and you have in a kind of instant uh, non-intrusive mining. But of course that you know vacuuming the seafloor, this is in, in the deep ocean. And ecologists have identified um, huge numbers of species there that would be uh, basically uh, destroyed um, by doing this. Um, And a lot of this is in um, areas where um, military experts are saying all this, these near confrontations that U.S. and China have in the South China See that you know it would kind of make the whole Pacific kind of a, a South China Sea. There's this UN agency that is supposedly um, allocating different regions of seafloor to uh, different countries to have their companies go and exploit. Uh, it hasn't started yet. But this um, this uh, UN agency wants to start. Uh, approving mining by sometime uh, next year. Um, but it's going to be kind of like the the Arctic once it melts. It's uh, 
it, it's going to end up being a, a free for all. Um, there um, is already talk about the our Navy and Coast Guard having a big presence in, in those um, areas. And then one um, interesting thing is up to now, only 9% of the world's uh, ocean floor has been mapped in, in detail. Um, and uh, not only for minerals, but for, for anything. And uh, these uh, military experts are saying that those areas of the Pacific that are now being explored and mapped by these uh, mining companies um, to you know, you know to a very high level of detail that uh, whatever whatever country that company is in their their data are going to be of huge uh, value to the militaries to the navies of these uh, of the host of the home country of of the miners and um, the U.S. is ahead in um, in, in this sort of thing and uh, could um, in, it's it's going to be um, you know, very tempting to take advantage of the, this kind of thing in uh, places like the South China Sea that, that there's going to be kind of a synergy between the mining and the um, military. Uh, mil military. Where have I seen that before? <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, goodness. Well, um, so you know, this is this this is the Stan Cox and now Stan and Preeti Cox uh, thing. It's like, hey, you this idea that you think is gonna be good, electric vehicles, sucks. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah. The only. I mean, of course, we don't want to have say in in the u.s um we can't go on having a quarter billion internal combustion engines running um so we we've got to get away from that but replacing them with uh, a quarter billion uh uh, humongous batteries is not uh, going to solve our problems we you know we've got to uh uh, extricate ourselves from the mm-hmm. uh, private vehicle culture. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's all to avoid planning, right? It's all to avoid like, yeah. a social planning kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. And Everybody to has to have their own. <laughs> and, and it's also like to drive, like, it's interesting because of the engineering, right? Like, at some level, <laughs> the size of the vehicle, you're, you're driving the battery around the whole goal of the vehicle is to move the battery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there there's an electric Hummer. Now <clears throat> it's, it's battery weighs as much as a, a Honda civic, the whole car, <laughs> uh, the Ford F one fifty, the electric version of the F one fifty, which is the, the gasoline version or diesel version uh, are the, the biggest selling, vehicle in the country but this uh, so-called lightning f-150 the electric one has a it's its battery weighs almost a ton and it's the size of two mattresses oh my god can you imagine i mean it's a yeah it's like it's a failure of engineering in a way right like we have to make the exact same vehicles 
except power them by electricity instead of taking advantage of the different nature of the f- power source to yeah. engineer something actually different. <laughs> and lithium of uh, all metals has the lowest um, molecular weight so, or atomic weight. Right. Um, so and, and we're not going to find lighter metals. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what you could do if you were really trying to look at it from all these different angles as opposed to just trying to reproduce the same disastrous imperialist and environmental destruction with a different fuel. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, you know, lithium sucks, but apparently in your other article, in your October post, we also learned that natural gas also sucks. (laughs) Uh, That's right. Yeah, that's that's why we're um, <laughs> encouraging the boycotting of Russia's natural gas. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Germany's <laughs> gonna be feeling that before most. But so what? What's uh, you? You? Uh, you? We were talking about the Prairie Festival. You had a you had some interesting discussions at the Prairie Festival. Let's go over. Let's go over that a little. Yes. Um. Uh, Excuse me, the uh, annual Prairie Festival here at the Land Institute. Um, it's been because of COVID. This is the first one we've had in three years. It was last month. And um, we always have a bunch of speakers and artists, uh, musicians come in. And uh, I interviewed, in, instead of uh, her um, giving a straight talk, I um, interviewed one of the speakers on stage, Alexia LeClaire, um, who um, is uh, 22 years old and um, uh, is a a very uh, active climate activist in in all sorts of areas, has already has started a nonprofit and um, uh, is doing everything from uh, environmental justice work in uh, East Austin, Texas, in the marginalized neighborhood where Tesla has built a a, a factory to um, uh, lobbying last month in in the Capitol against uh, Joe Manchin's side deal, which which he got for supporting the um, Inflation (laughs) Reduction Act. Uh, He got... uh, uh, expedited permit or he was promised expedited permits for gas pipelines in uh, in West Virginia and elsewhere but um, uh, that you know, for various political reasons and thanks to all the people who uh, went to the Capitol that uh, that died so Manchin lost his side deals so um, it Manchin um, um, snookering the progressives uh, for so many uh, months um, has now turned into Manchin himself getting snookered by uh, Mitch McConnell and and, uh, and, and the progressives (laughs) as in an unlikely alliance. Anyway, anyway, uh, uh, you know, Alexia is um, was uh, she. Uh, gave her if you can call a interview a, a stem winder it, it, it was quite a stem writer and and the and the uh, crowd uh, loved it and now 
she's um will be headed soon to cop 27 in mm-hmm. egypt and she was saying i know i know you know, we're not going to uh, change in any of those people's minds we, we're just there to prevent the worst happening um and and to um try to head off some some of the really bad decisions <laughs> that they they might be making well it's interesting that it's in egypt um because this is yeah. like the thing that struck struck me about this article that we're going to talk about last i think is <laughs> is the idea that like you know youth it's the youth the youth have to Just. do this you know the youth have to do this and it's like this is there are lots of things that i can't stand about obama and could stand about obama at the time but like one of the things that I can't stand is uh, when he uh, tells the youth that it's all up to them. And it's yeah. like, uh, you did nothing as president. You actually did nothing. You did worse than nothing as president. And then you're at, you're done being president. And then you say, okay, youth, it's all on you. And it's like, what do you want yeah. them to do? You want them to, to run for office and become president and then do nothing when like you did? Or... Like, what yeah. is it exactly that you expect the youth to do? But but it's interesting because he also apparently won the Nobel Prize or something for this stupid speech that he gave in Egypt, which was very <laughs> similar, right? It was like, you know, you Arabs need to take personal responsibility. And it's like, oh, yeah, really? Like, you've been in, like, all the stuff the U.S. has been doing that Obama personally oversaw yeah. in the Middle East, and he's talking to them about how they need to take responsibility? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Revolting yeah. stuff, but like, yeah. Um, yeah. So about the youth, tell me. Yeah, yeah. Well, here I think I'll I'll just um, read a little bit of uh, what uh, what Alexia said because uh, mm-hmm. during the Q and A, there was uh, one of the uh, people in the audience uh, looked seemed like a youngish climate activist, and she had talked about how she had. Uh, observed firsthand what she called the overexploitation of the energy passion yeah. and labor of young people involved yeah. in this work leading to burnout. And, say, and Alexia agreed. She said, I think every youth activist I know is burnt out. Yeah. Um, and then you know, she talked about what needs to be done about that. And she said, uh, the media kind of like to glamorize the youth movement but it's not something to be glamorized i'm uh, i i don't think i don't think that kids especially young kids should be responsible for doing all all the hard work i think it's really important for us to encourage intergenerational organizing make sure everyone of all ages gets involved and does their part yeah and i mean it's like you know putting it all on the youth is like so what like once you once you've grown up and you have actual resources and power and you're in decision making positions and act in organizations is when you need to just what like get yours and and put it all on the youth who are in school (laughs) like don't actually have any like it's it's really it's really vile when i when you think about it it's not it's not cute at all yeah, um, it's a it's a mirror image of yeah. um, <clears throat> when um, climate ethicists talk about our um, about uh, our civilization's responsibility yeah. to future generations, and we have yeah. to take that into account. And we're not only not taking 
that into account at all, but we're asking the very people who are going to bear the burden of uh, all that stuff we put into the air um, and and see a lot more more horrible stuff than we've seen. Um, We're asking them to uh, stop us. Please uh, (laughs) fix our problem for us or stop us from doing this. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that she debunked it and I'm glad to have the chance to kind of crack down on this, uh, you know, this, (laughs) it's all on the youth. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, the youth, there's a lot of things that the, I, there was a, whenever there's like a strike at my university, which, you know, happens every few years, um, there are like young people who ask older people people, professors, whatever, older TAs, what to do, you know, what should we do? You know, how should we uh, act in the strike? And and I, I have this thing where I'm like, I'm not going to tell you because <laughs> you have to actually find your own way. And I, I had this acronym where I, I would write to like students who would ask me things. I'd be like, the youth must find their own way. <laughs> T-Y-M-F-T-O-W. <laughs> yeah. and and they would write back and be like oh fine so like in that sense there's there's some there's like a it comes from a genuine place of you know we don't want to impose yeah our mistakes on the youth which is fine yeah but that's totally different from we are abdicating all the responsibility for all the power that we have accrued to ourselves in our in our yeah. like greedy, <laughs> cli- like blood-soaked climb to these, you know, to, to this position yeah. that we're in, and we're going yeah. to now, uh, you know, f- make the youth yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexei was right. Um, why not work together on on it? Yeah. <laughs> not, not n- neither, and tell them. Here's what you've got to do, or yeah. say, uh, okay, uh, fig- you figure it out. Yeah, we we obviously aren't capable of <laughs> doing <laughs> yeah. that, right? So yeah, you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so what's what's up in November? November's a big deal, right? November's important for you guys. Okay. Uh, y- yes. Um, we're gonna have um the beginning of the month to things converge one uh, of course is cop 27 which um the there's nothing hanging in the balance there we, we know <laughs> that yeah, the stakes the stakes yeah. there are um very low it's very predictable how that will go the other the um uh, u.s uh, midterm elections um Everything is in the balance there, and uh, you know, probably a week by a week after the polls close, we are going to know a lot more about uh, not only whether we're, we're going to have a government that uh, is capable of actually taking effective action on climate. Um, we um, you know, you know, there's uh, so much more at stake obviously that we could uh these elections if they go badly could put all of the um, people in place uh, uh starting next year 
um, who will um, be empowered to uh, engineer uh, uh, the takeover of an ultra right wing regime in uh, uh, in the 2024 elections. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so we're it, it's not just uh, something about who's who's in the White House. It's going to be who's controlling uh, not only the White House, but both houses of Congress, the majority of state uh, legislatures and uh, um, and as well as now we have already an ultra right regime in the Supreme Court. Um, so uh, uh, so I'm uh, going to wait and, and to publish that well to get that one totally written until a couple of days after the November 8th uh, election because I don't know the punch. I'm, I'm probably going to write two versions <laughs> of the thing <laughs> and then and then um, send one of them into uh, City Lights. I hope it's the one that says, well, we dodged a bullet there. Mm. Um, but then uh, there'll be some details that uh, have to wait another week before they post it so that it, it's not out of date. And we know when they're, they're gonna, certainly going to be elections that are um, you know, uh, very yeah, close same. and contested and and so forth. Um, so, uh uh, so uh, that's that's basically what it's going to be about. I'll uh, uh, go back to um, interviewing people and so forth uh, in the coming year in in next year. All right. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, uh, if you're able to take in. Uh, U.S. refugees there in Toronto. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, uh, 